All right. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. We thank God for his goodness. We thank him for his mercy. Every opportunity that we get to share the word of God <clears throat> is a blessing, and um, we're thankful for it. We bless God for uh, always having um, something to say to us. We, we don't always listen, and we're not always um, paying attention um, and really uh, absorbing what God is trying to tell us. Um, but I'm so glad that that doesn't stop God from even speaking in the first place because we sometimes uh, run up with into challenges with paying attention and, and, and grabbing hold of the word. But instead, God works with us, has patience with us and uh, keeps molding us and um, getting us where we uh, need to be. Sometimes he sends um, or allows us to um, endure or deal with life's situations and those situations in turn have a way of taking what God was trying to give to us and uh, tell us in advance that we weren't in in which we weren't listening to or really paying attention to and and he uses it to kind of uh, get us to uh, compre comprehend the lesson that uh, he was trying to get across to us and so uh, sometimes God does that in order uh, that we might uh, fully grasp and grab hold of what God is trying to teach us. God never just talks for his health. So when God is trying to teach us something, it really is for our benefit. So although we run into challenges with, uh, with paying attention and comprehending and understanding the word of God, uh, when God has given it to us, uh, we still need the word of God. Now to help offset this, God has given us the Holy Ghost um, who leads and guides us into all truth, okay? Um, but even with that, we still gotta be paying attention and listening to what God is, is uh, speaking to us through his holy and precious spirit. Um, with that um, said, there um, are times where life living life, experiencing life is the very thing that God uses in order to take a lesson that he was trying to teach us and crystallize it or make it clear, make it relevant in our life. Sometimes we just got to go through some things. Sometimes we got to experience some things. And with that, that brings us to uh, our lesson for today. This will be uh, in the Bible Matters um, series, which is a side um, series of lessons where uh, God gives us something to talk about. Um, it can be unrelated to our uh, normal um, lesson plan or lessons that we're going through. In fact, we're dealing with Psalms 27 um, uh, just in its entirety. Um, well, sometimes God gives us something else outside of that. And so when he does give us something outside of whatever the uh, main body of scripture that God is, has, 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 has a studying at the time, then those get kind of rifled under the category of the Bible Matters uh, series. So these are kind of just one-offs. Sometimes they might, there might, they might, be one or two lessons. So they could turn into a little series in and of themselves. Not always. Usually they're just pretty standalone. Um, but they're, but, but they, they, they're, it's God talking to us right there in the moment. Today I want to talk to you all about um, 
uh, something that is really um, is really prevalent right now. It's always been a part of um, the Christian journey, the Christian walk. Uh, we all, it's something we're all familiar with. Something that nobody really uh, wants to talk about or really even want to deal with. I know that I don't, and that's the topic of suffering. We don't always talk a whole lot about suffering, yet suffering um, pretty much is a staple within Christianity. By that, I simply mean you're not going to get away from it. There will be some suffering to some extent that you have to deal with, um, and it can be difficult. And it's 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 never really inviting, and it's never really something that we're like, oh, hey, sign me up. I want a you know a second helping of suffering, or even a first helping of suffering. Nobody is signing up for all of that, and so, but but yet and still, it, it we we have this as part of the journey, and it's and it serves a purpose. Um, it can be difficult to see that purpose uh, at times because again, nobody wants to suffer. I know that I don't. If I'm just being honest, I, 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 and, and honesty is the best policy, amen, I don't want to have to suffer. Um, and so I'm not always, I'm not looking forward to it. I'm never really looking forward to it. And if you're anything like me, then you are not looking forward to it either um, too often. Um, nevertheless, suffering is here. So let's talk a little bit about that and see if we can learn something about suffering um, especially in today's present situation. I really want to talk about, um, um, talk to you today from the standpoint of suffering's worst kept secret. If I had to give it a title, then that's what we would be talking about. Suffering's worst kept secret. Okay. We want to talk about this, this whole thing. There's something, there's, 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 there's a kind of a trick to suffering, something about, um, 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 suffering um, that uh, that uh, we all need to know. It's there, it's present, but we are not always aware of it. As a basis for our scripture study today, take a look at John, St. John chapter 17. And I want you to look at verse number one. This is uh, the gospel of John. This is chapter 17, and we are looking at verse number one. The word of God says this, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. May God have a blessing to all those that not just read and hear his word, but do his word. Family, the blessing is in the obedience. This is something that you will hear me say quite often because it is absolutely always true. The blessing is in the obedience. So as you hear the word, my prayer for you, brothers and sisters, is, is that you are abiding by it, that you are walking in it, you are obeying it. Because in God's kingdom, if you are not obeying the word, if you are not putting it into practice, if you are not using it, then you have not heard it. Amen. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay. You got to do what God says. So much so that even love is not accepted. My love, your love for God will never be accepted by God. Devoid of obedience to what he says. 
if we do not obey what he says, then you and I can say whatever it is that we want. The reality is, the truth is, hard, cold truth is, is that we do not love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Amen. So we want to be uh, obedient to the word. John 17 and one, reiterating, Jesus said these words, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Let's unpack that for just a moment here. Our text opens up family, friends, um, acquaintances, strangers, visitors, whatever it is, whoever you are, wherever you are. Our text opens up today near the end of Jesus's uh, physical uh, earthly ministry. He's, he's about at the end at this, at this point of the physical um, ministry, okay? And when we say the physical ministry, we, we're talking about, we're referring to the ministry of Jesus as it was as he walked on this earth among the apostles and among the people of the day and operated um, in the manner in which he did healing manner, all manner of sickness and, and, and preaching and teaching and bringing the revelation of God to people, because truly as the old Testament writer called him, Emmanuel, meaning God with us, that is who Jesus is. Jesus is God. And when Jesus was walking with the disciples and when Jesus was on this earth and he was and and knee deep in in the ministry that he that was assigned to him truly and absolutely he was Emmanuel he was God with us he was God robed in the veil of flesh and in this humanity amen amen in this humanity we truly saw God operate Amen. And our forefathers, our brothers and sisters uh, are, uh, are, uh, that lived during that time got to see it firsthand. We see it through the spirit. Okay. We get to, we get to partake. We're witnesses through the aid of the Holy Ghost brings us up to date. Amen. Br uh, brings us right into the same fray. But, but our forefathers were, were, had the honor and the privilege of walking with Jesus bodily in the natural during that time. Nevertheless, in John 17 and one, Jesus says very plainly, the hour is come. Amen. This is near the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. And at this point in the scripture, the ministry is drawing to a close. Amen. His hour, so to speak, had come. Okay. His time had come. And if you were to ask, what is this hour or what does that hour represent? then the answer would be that it was the hour of suffering. Amen. The Bible refers to that. Okay. This is the hour of suffering. When Jesus said the hour is come, the hour that he was referring to, not the, the, the period that he was referring to, amen, was the period that encompassed the suffering that he would go through on your behalf and on my behalf, on the behalf of the entire world. The hour had come. 
the hour had finally arrived. Jesus had already worked miracle after miracle. Jesus had already called the disciples unto himself. Jesus had already given marching orders and instructions to the to to the to to the to the disciples who would become the apostles. Jesus had already opened up doors that no one could open and and he and and he'd already opened up eyes that nobody could open. He'd already healed the sick and the lame and he'd already mended broken hearts and he'd already brought hope and he'd already done all of these different things and he's doing those things still even right now amen i'm glad about jesus that when we talk about jesus right now we can talk about him in the past tense from what he's doing but at the same time we can quickly update that and talk about him in the present because he's still doing those same things god is still opening the eyes of the blind and he's still giving the lame the ability to walk. He's still opening, opening the mouth of the dumb and putting words in the, in the mouth of the speechless. And, and I'm telling you, God is still doing those things. God's still working miracles after miracles. And that's a wonderful thing to behold. But for the context of our lesson, when we look at John 17 and 1, Jesus said the hour had come. And the hour that is being referenced is that hour of suffering. Many of us today um, are having a hard time with life and just in general. It's a lot of stuff going on. And if you're listening to this message, I know just that alone probably hits home. There's a lot going on. There's a lot that you're dealing with that you haven't even taken the time to try to explain to anybody why, because it's just too much. There, it, it just, there's so much going on right now that you probably, if I, if we, if, if you were to tell it, would probably quickly run out of words because you just don't have the words to tell it all. You don't quite know how to put into words or to articulate just what has been happening. And, and, and so the, the blanket statement, the general statement that it's, it, it, it's just a lot in general is probably more than sufficient to cover your situation without you having to to try to pick out anything in specific there's a lot going on in general and people are having a hard time in life amen they're having a hard time with life we're finding it difficult to deal with the various challenges that life throws our way. No, no rhyme, no reason at times that we can discern. Now, I'm not saying that things are happening haphazard because they don't. God knows all things. And there is a purpose for everything, even when you don't know what the purpose is. My knowledge of the purpose does not negate the fact or the reality that there is a purpose. But yet and still, there's a lot going, there's a lot going on. Okay. And, and we're finding it difficult with all of the challenges and all the things that life throws our way to manage and deal with any, it, deal with all of this stuff. Anybody listening to this, remember COVID? Yeah, kind of didn't go away, right? It's still going on. God is doing both a, a wonderful and terrible work in the earth all right now. Amen. Because with that, you see prophecy being fulfilled 
But at the same time, you see God, how he's protecting and he's working and he's working on behalf of his people. Many a people, God, there, 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 have, there has been great, just with COVID alone, loss of life with dealing with that. And that's hard to deal with. But at the same time, as much as there has been great loss of life, many have experienced and found the healing of God in the middle of all of this, in the most dire of situations. Doctors at times have been left scratching their head. People are dealing, and it's COVID is just one thing. There are all sorts of things going on. Some of them are medical related. Some of them are financial related. Some of them could be, it could be all sorts of areas in which hardships, suffering can be found. How about the political and social unrest that is just ridiculous at this point and is just everywhere you look. You can turn on the news probably at any point and at any time, and it and it won't be long before you come across some sort of political shenanigans or, and some sort of civil unrest, all kinds of diff different things. The world's in trouble. The world is in trouble. Things are spiraling more and more seemingly out of control, but are they really out of control? No, they're not because our heavenly father has told us in advance that these things would come. Nevertheless, Jesus says the hour of suffering, the hour is come. And so it is for us as well. The hour of suffering is upon us. And many of us and many of you listening to this are in that moment right now. You're in a situation. You are in a present hour of suffering. When we say hour of suffering, we're not necessarily talking about the, 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 um, the, the, an actual hour or time increment. No, we're not actually talking about talking about that. But we also, when we say the hour of suffering, we refer to that season or that period of time, regardless of how long it lasts where things are less than ideal and you and I are suffering with life and through life for one reason or another, for reasons known or reasons unknown. We're in an hour of suffering. We're in a time of great trials. We're in a time of things not going the way that we always want them to go. Many of us today are having just a hard time with all of this. And when you think about it, it's easy to see why. It is absolutely easy to see why. And so in that, because it is easy to see why, the first thing I'd want to say to you is, especially if you're dealing and finding yourself dealing with some hard times, you are not alone. You are absolutely not alone. I know you might feel abandoned. You might feel like it's just you. And you might feel like you're really just quite isolated in more ways than one, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. You might feel that. But the reality is, is that you are not that. God has not left you. Amen.
Somebody listening needs to know that. God has not left you. For some of you who are suffering and some of us who are suffering, it's not because you've done anything wrong. You have been trying and doing your best to live right and to obey the word and obey the scripture. Yet you must remember you live in a fallen world and because you live in this fallen world, it means that some days are going to be difficult. You're not exempt. I'm not exempt from the hard times. And so even for the person, the brother or the sister, the man or the, the woman that is obedient to the will of God, they too find themselves in the hour of suffering. Yet others are in the hour of suffering, not because you are doing the right thing, but because you are doing the wrong thing. To you, the message is different. The message is not. God is with you. God has not left you. The message is a question. Why have you left God? Some of us find ourselves in the hour of testing unnecessarily before we need to even be in or at all involved in some of these situations. Why? Because our walk is contrary. And God simply does not bless mess. You can try to get away with it, but you never will. I know I didn't get away with it. You're not going to get away with it either. And nevertheless, you are in the hour of suffering. And it doesn't feel good. And to you, I would say, change your ways. Turn back to God. And allow him to turn things around. But as long as you continue to walk this path of doing your own thing. All you're doing, as the scripture teaches, is that you're treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. In other words, you're adding indictments to your, to your, to, to your rap sheet. That's all you're doing. Are you in an unnecessary hour of suffering? Because you're trading holiness and righteousness for the pleasures of momentary sin, as long as you keep doing that, you're going to keep having problems and you're going to keep experiencing hours of suffering. Because eventually, the party ends. The lights get turned out. And you're going to find yourself by yourself in the mess that you have created. Thus, some hours of suffering in a way are artificial. Why? It's not real. In other words, it's not that it's not real and that it doesn't exist. What I mean by that is, is, is that they are self-induced. It's not the natural things that would occur that are prescribed, that God has set aside that you're going to have to walk through. It's not those things. It's the unnecessary things that we have added on top of that. Listen, there are some, God, there, listen, your, your steps are ordered. 
everything that we go through is ordered. So there are some things that are set aside that you and I, guess what? You're not going to get out of it. You're not going to have to deal with it. But then there are some things that we bring on ourselves. So not only do you have what has been divinely designated, but you also got the suffering that comes along with the bad choices that you've made. And if that's you, I advise you, I implore you, I beg you, turn back now and turn to God. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your unrighteousness. Turn, uh, listen, somebody has been lying to you, trying to convince you that you're not that bad and what you're doing is not, is, 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 is not as bad as what someone else is doing. It has nothing to do with that. In some ways, there may be levels to sin and that there are some things that are worse than others. But in God's eyesight, though that may be, it's also a moot point because regardless of the level of sin, the judgment on all sin has been pronounced or declared. And the wages of sin is still death. From the theft of some bubble gum to millions of dollars in embezzlement and anything else. Sin, no matter, no, no matter the level, it all carries the same penalty. So at the end of the day, does it really matter? That this person exercised a, a, a form of sin seemingly worse than the form that you exercise? It doesn't matter. All of it carries the death penalty for your soul. My goodness, the word is plain. The soul that sinned, it shall die. You read that in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18. Turn back. We're going to talk about suffering here. And we're going to talk about it from the standpoint of that suffering that is assigned. Those things that life brings you not because you're living recklessly. So if that's you and you're listening to this, turn back. You are simply one decision away in the name of Jesus from having things turned around. Everybody got, a, everyone has an hour. We all have hour. I'll have our hour of suffering, our times of suffering. But man, if I had to pick and choose, let me just be honest with you. If I got to deal with some suffering, I'd rather just deal with what's assigned to me rather than dealing with what's assigned to me on, in addition to all the unnecessary stuff that I bring on myself because I just won't do right. So that if that's you, get, 
it's time to find that altar of repentance. And that is right where you are. It's time to stop. It's time to repent. It's time to let God wash you. It's time for you to start walking in a different direction. So you can get rid of those unnecessary, those unnecessary hours of suffering. See, the unnecessary hours of suffering, that's what you call wasted time. See, we all got hours. That's a sign. That ain't wasted. Why? Because the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. It serves a purpose. But that unnecessary stuff, now that's a waste of time. Amen. Amen. To the saints of God, if we continue, struggling and suffering is not a new concept. As at least it's not a new concept to us as children of God, as we, we tend to learn very early that everybody has or will have an hour of suffering, as we kind of talked about a little bit before. Do we like it? No. I know I don't. Do we want it? No. <laughs> I know I don't. But it is what it is, as it says, <laughs> as they say, it is what it is. We may not like it or want it, but we got to remember something. That whether we like it or we want it, we're going to have to deal with it nonetheless. But the upside or the bright side of this, even though it's not what we want and it's not what we would choose for ourselves, the bright side is, is that the Lord has prepared us for this hour in advance. In other words, we might have to deal with the out. We might have to deal with the an hour of suffering, those periods where things are just not going right. But I thank God Almighty that He didn't just spring it on me. That we are not just caught completely unawares. Because he took time to prepare us. Do you remember what the Lord spoke through the apostle in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1? The word of God says this. This know also that in the last days, what? Perilous times shall come. Amen. Yeah, he prepared us. He told us in advance. That in those last days, and we're living in them last days, he said, perilous times shall come. If you take the description of the last days as provided to us by Jesus and his holy apostles, then it doesn't take much to see that we're living in the last days right now. It doesn't take much to see that. Scripture calls these last days perilous times. Now, the Greek word for perilous is, is actually only used about twice in the Scripture, that particular rendering of the word. It's, it's only used about twice in the Scripture. 
Um, and if you take a look at it on what it means, the, the phonetic spelling of it is uh, kalipos, okay? And it's an adjective, all right? That's the, that's, that, that's the phonetic pronunciation. Um, the transliterated word would, would be spelled as C-H-A-L-E-P-O-S, okay? Kalepos, okay? And what that word means, and this is for the word perilous, which I said before is only used about twice in the scripture, this rendering of it, okay? It literally means hard to do or uh, to take, hard to take or hard to approach, okay? It literally means, it, it, it also means hard to bear. It means troublesome, okay? It means dangerous. It means harsh. It means fierce. And it can also mean savage, if you will. Okay, these are all the nuanced meanings found nestled within the word perilous. Okay, so when the word of God tells us that perilous times shall come, then what he's actually telling us is, is that hard times are going to come. Times that are hard to take, times that are hard to approach or deal with. Okay. Times where things are hard to do. It's hard to get through this and it's hard to bear this. These are times that are going to be troublesome. Times that are going to be considered dangerous. Harsh times, very savage and fierce times. Perilous times shall come. Now, when we understand this, with the understanding of what perilous means, now that we have it, it becomes even easier to understand why there will be from time to time hours of suffering. There's going to be hours of suffering. Why? Because the times are dangerous. Because the times are difficult. Because the times, when we talk about the times are difficult, the times are dangerous, the times are hard to bear, the, 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 the arena in which you operate. In other words, life around you. That's what we're talking about. We are in a day and an age where life around you, operating in life around you, living in this world around you <clears throat> is, is, is an environment that is full of great difficulty, great danger, very harsh environment. And because the environment is difficult, because the, our, our surrounding is rough. Then operating within the confines of this environment means that some days are going to be harder than others. Some times are going to be more difficult than others. There are going to be hours of suffering. Amen. Not what you want to hear, not what I always want to hear, but we need to know it 
nonetheless. See, suffering for any reason is not fun, okay? Let's just get that out there. It is not fun. And in addition to that, it's something we won't be able to completely avoid, no matter how much we want to. I know that we want to, but we will never be able to fully avoid suffering. Because suffering is a matter of when, not a matter of if. Let me say that again. Suffering is not a matter of when. Or let me say there, it is rather, let me reverse, let me make sure I get that right. It is a matter of when and not a matter of if. It's when you will go through it. It's not if you will, you are going to go through it. I am going to deal with it. So it's, it's not if, it's when. The end result of this is, is that truly then it comes down to, since it's a matter of when, I'm going to have to deal with it, then truly it comes down to how I deal with it or how we suffer or endure hardships when our hour comes. The suffering and hardship that Jesus was going to endure was by no means a pretty sight. Yet for Jesus, it wasn't the hardship he was looking at, wasn't the hardship he was focused on, wasn't the hardship that was in his view. It was instead joy. It is true that Jesus came to suffer on our behalf and in our stead. He did. But according to Hebrews, Jesus endured the suffering with joy. He saw it, we saw it as suffering. But he saw it as joy. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, and I want you to look at verse number two. Looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. He who for the joy that was set before him, you see that? For the joy that was set before him. What did he do? Endured the cross, despising the shame. And is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. You know what that tells us? Especially looking at that A portion, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You know what all this tells us? It means that Jesus had a different perception of things than we do. Listen up. There is victory to be had even in suffering, as difficult as that may be, 
especially with these times, because we're all going through some really rough times right now. You know, these things have been touching our lives and our family, the difficulties left and right, and all manner of things has been in, and, and people are without hope, people are discouraged, all kinds of different things. Man, the hour of suffering is here, and we are dealing with it. Nevertheless, there is victory to be had, even in suffering. And you got to believe that. But here's the thing. To experience it, we need to begin to see things the way that Jesus saw them. See, the victory is there. There's victory to be had. But if you're going to experience that victory, if you're going to partake in that victory, if I'm going to experience and partake in that victory, then it's going to require something. There's an adjustment that's going to have to be made. You and I are going to need to begin to see things the way that Jesus saw them. And, the, and, 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 and I know you're going to ask, so let me just go ahead and answer the question. How do we do that? Well, it happens, or we do this, when we get the mind of Christ. Amen. If we want to see things the way he saw them, then it is going to require that we get the mind of Christ. The way he thinks got to become the way we think. Look at Philippians 2 and 4. Let this mind be in you. Amen. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Let this mind, what mind? The same one that was in Jesus Christ. The apostle is saying, you got to have the same mind. You got to have the same outlook. You've got to have the same opinions. You got to have the same view. You've got to have the same mind. I've got to have it. If we're going to get experience that victory that is to be had in suffering, then we have to, we've got to let the same mind, we've got to have the same mind of Christ. It's got to be in us. See, when we get the mind of Christ, there's a few things that happen. And this is why it works. This is why you got to have it. Because when you get the mind of Christ, when I get the mind of Christ in me, which means I start thinking the way he thinks, I start seeing things the way he sees them, I start feeling the way he feels. In other words, I adopt the way God feels about things that becomes the way that I feel. His outlook becomes my outlook. His view becomes my view. His opinion becomes my opinion. I totally adjust and revamp everything that is me. And I adjust, throw all that stuff out and I adopt everything that's God. Amen. That's what it, that's what it means. That's what it means to get the mind of Christ in you. Now, when we get the mind of Christ in us, okay, there are a few things that begin to happen. Number one, our perception starts to match his. 
That's the first thing that happens when you get the mind of Christ, your perception, which means the way you see things. Now, when we talk about the way we see things and your perception, we're not just talking about what you see with your eyes. What we're talking about is the way you view it, your opinion of things. Our perception starts to match his. In essence, the way he sees it, the way his opinion, what his opinion is of it, that starts to become ours. When you get the mind of Christ, not only does your perception change, but the next thing that happens is, is that the things we viewed as obstacles, we become enabled to see them as really what they truly are. And what's that? Opportunities, not obstacles. Amen. Amen. When you get the mind of Christ, obstacles become opportunities. Oh, it's, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's victory to be had, buddy, but you got to have the mind of Christ. I got to have it. The way you interpret things begins to change. That's what we mean by perception. But not only that, and when your when your perception begins to change, when you begin to start seeing things and operating the way God operates, then all of a sudden, what is an obstacle or what was an obstacle becomes an opportunity. Why? Because if God before you, who can be against you? My Bible tells me that what is Im what is impossible with men is possible with God. When I get the mind of Christ, all of a sudden, I become enabled to, to truly and accurately model, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and so can you. We become empowered and enabled to model that. And finally, what happens is, once we get the mind of Christ, not only does our perception begin to change, obstacles become opportunities. But when we get the mind of Christ, we begin to see joy or good in the things that at first appear to have none. <laughs> Glory to God. God love Jesus. I love Jesus with all my heart. And I hope you do. And if you don't know him, I'm trying to convince you to give Jesus your heart because he's worthy. It's the best decision you'll ever make. You need the mind of Christ, especially in this hour of suffering. Because although we've got to deal with the suffering, there's victory to be had on the other end of this thing. But it does start with getting the mind of Christ in accordance to Philippians 2, 14, 2 and 4 rather. And the reason why it works is because when you get it, one thing, your perception changes. The next thing, obstacles become opportunities. So that literally means your environment changes. I'm in an environment of obstacles. Uh-oh, guess what? Got the mind of Christ. Now I'm in an environment of opportunities. What kind of opportunities? To show forth God's glory. To demonstrate his praise. To demonstrate his awesomeness to demonstrate his power, 
to demonstrate his authority. The list goes on and on. But I am telling you, these obstacles become opportunities. And what makes it even better is that these, op- these so-called obstacles, once they become opportunities, See, when there were obstacles, they were discouraging. When there were obstacles, there were things that you didn't look forward to. When there were obstacles, they were problematic. But now that they've become opportunities, now that it has changed, the very thing that you could not see enjoying has now become a source of joy. You begin to be able to see the joy And the things where, as at first, there appeared to be none. James chapter one, two and three puts it this way. My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Look at second Timothy chapter two, verse three. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So then, we know that Jesus saw his suffering as joy. And when we get the mind of Christ, we too can begin to see the suffering, the hardship, the difficulties as joy. Why? Because our our perception begins to match his. So that means the way we interpret what we see begins to match the way he interprets it. Okay? They begin to line up. And when that happens, then the things that seem like barriers and obstacles, they actually become opportunities for God's glory and majesty to be demonstrated. And when those obstacles become opportunities that we no longer look at them with disdain and 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 revile and all of these things but they become sources of joy we become able to see the joy in those things amen so now that we know and understand That Jesus saw his suffering as joy, because remember, that's what Hebrews 12 and 2 told us. Amen. Now that we understand that, we got this one other little question. I get that he saw it that way. And I also get that when I get the mind of Christ, I'm going to start to see it that way. But how did he actually put it into practice. How did it play out though? I know he saw it that way. But how did it how did it play out? How did he actually deal with it? You're telling me the way he saw it. But now tell me how he actually what did he actually do? Because he had to do so it was it was more than just seeing it, right? He did something, right? Well, yes, he did. He did. 
And I'm glad you asked that question. And this is how he did it. But be prepared. Because this is how we're going to do it also. Amen. Glory to God. We got victory in Jesus. Peter gives us the insight that we're looking for. Look at 1 Peter. Chapter 2. And I want you to look at verses 21 through 23. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. So he says, you're called. This is what you're called to, in essence, to suffer, just as Christ suffered. Except, and I want you to have this understanding, what the scripture is telling you is, is that Christ suffered for us. We are, in turn, now suffer for him. Do you hear what I'm saying? He suffered for us. And so now we likewise reciprocate and we now suffer for him. He suffered for our sake. We now suffer for his sake, for his name's sake. Amen. He suffered for our sake to leave us an example for us to follow in his steps, or in other words, to leave a roadmap or an example for how you and I are supposed to suffer for his sake. Amen. Amen. Verse 22, who did no sin. All right, he's outlining it. He's outlining the steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Verse 23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteous. Righteously. Now let's break all that down. When you and I suffer or are dealing with the hour of suffering, we have to remember and keep in mind that the suffering is for an hour. Remember, Jesus said, my hour has come. The hour has come. Hour, when he calls it an hour, when we say the hour, and we've already learned that, that what that really means is, is just the period in which you and I are dealing with suffering. That's really what we're, what we're talking about. Yet and still, an hour is a, is a finite, it is a confined increment. It is a specific increment of time. It has a beginning and it has an end. Do you hear what I'm saying? An hour is an hour. It consists of, in the natural, it is consists of what? 60 minutes. 
You've got 60 minutes and every 60 minutes constitutes an hour. Okay. An hour is not 70 minutes. An hour is not, uh, is not 120 minutes or 113 minutes. You hear what I'm saying? It's not a thousand minutes. An hour is 60 minutes. 60 minutes is an hour. It, if you've got more than that, you've got more than an hour. If you have less than that, you have less than an hour. Jesus said the hour, my hour has come. And we said that when we talk about the hour, the hour that's being referenced is the hour of suffering or the time or period of suffering. The period of suffering is tied to a definite time increment, an increment that has a specific beginning and a specific end. It starts with minute number one and it ends with minute number 60. Now, because it is a definite or a definite period or increment, that means that the hour only lasts for so long. It means the season or the period as an hour is confined to 60 minutes, so too is the suffering only confined to a period. Whatever that period may be, it's going to last until that period ends. What are you saying? I'm telling you that when it comes to the trouble of suffering, you've got to understand that trouble does not last always. Suffering will not last always. That's the first thing that you've got to keep in mind is that there is an definite end. And in the name of Jesus, you're going to make it. That's the first thing that you got to understand and that you have got to believe. You have got to understand that what you are going through is only for a season, that what you're dealing with is only going to last a little while, that what you are encountering is only going to antagonize and bother you for so long. But the end, glory to God, is coming. Amen. 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 Why are you talking about that part when you just read the script? Because before I can get into all of that, you've got to understand the magnitude of what it means when Jesus said, my hour has come. The hour is a definite period. It's a, it's a specific increment. And as soon as he tied it to an hour, what he was saying was that it wasn't going to last always. And if you and I will understand and begin to accept that the things that you are going through are for a season. When you get that understanding, then the hope that you have lost sight of because you're tired of dealing with what you're going through, your hope can be revitalized. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm going through the, 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 the worst of, of whatever it may be, and it starts to look hopeless, all I got to do is turn my attention to the fact that it will pass. 
that my suffering is confined to an hour or to a period of time. I can smile because I know that it's not going to last forever. And so can you. So the first thing you got to do is, is that you got to get your hope going again. You got to see the other side. You got to, you got to perceive the bigger picture that this thing you dealing with ain't going to last always. Oh, it's coming to an end. You are coming through this. You are going to walk through this. You are going to run through this. You are going to fly through this, but you are going to, whether you crawl, walk, or fly, you have got to say, I'm coming through. I'm coming through in the name of Jesus. I am coming through. First, you got to get that. Know that you're coming through. Once you know that it's not going to last, once you understand the depth of that, then you're ready really to employ the truth that is nestled in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 20 through 23. Okay. He literally tells us in verse 22 that a couple things. He tells us that who did not sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And then in verse 23, it says, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So the question on the table then is, is that I know that Jesus saw, we know that Jesus saw the joy, saw suffering as joy. We get that. That takes care of the outlook. We get all that. But now how did he actually put it into practice? What were the steps that he actually walked through? And because they're the same things that we have to do. This is how you get through suffering. That's what we're talking about. The worst kept secret of suffering <laughs> is how to actually get through it. <laughs> Here's how you get through it. Peter tells us that Christ suffered for us and he did so in order to leave us an example that we should follow his steps the steps that jesus took to deal with suffering is, is that number one he didn't commit sin commit sin simply means that he did not transgress or break god's law when you are in the midst of suffering you have got to refuse to violate and go against God's word. See, when you are in the midst of hardship and hard times, God's word is still God's word. His law is still his law. And it doesn't matter how uncomfortable you are or how uncomfortable I am. When I am in, it doesn't matter. When I am in the hour of suffering, the hour of suffering is not an excuse to transgress the law of God. Because that's what sin is, according to John. It is transgression of the law. Or in other words, the breaking of the law. Whose law? God's law. The steps that Jesus did or took in order to deal with suffering is, is that number one, he did not use suffering as an excuse to break God's word. Brothers and sisters, you need God to deliver you. So you're not going to get anywhere in the middle of suffering by coming with the grand scheme and reason or grand idea that says, oh, you know what? I'm going to just do what I want to do. 
even though I know that God's word says don't do it. Brothers and sisters, you got to avoid that. Number one, refuse to break God's word. Do not use it, your discomfort, because it's momentary. Remember, it won't last always. Do not use momentary discomfort as some sort of justification to break God's word. You don't get to take a break on being a child of God. You don't get to take a break on your Christianity. Sorry, I know sometimes we feel like that because, you know what, I'm just going gonna, gonna to do what I need to do to make myself feel better. No, 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 and more no. You still, you're, you're a child of God. You got to walk holy. The next thing that he didn't do is that he didn't use it as, he didn't use it as an excuse to speak guile. Now, guile, it means deceit or trickery, okay? The word of God says, the, Bible, the word of God says, neither was guile found in his mouth, okay? Guile is deceit. It means trickery. It means treachery, okay? So in other words, what he's saying that when, he's, when the Bible says that, he didn't, that no guile was found in his mouth, what that means is, is that he had no unrighteousness that the world could pin on him. That would have warranted or somehow justified or explained the suffering that he had to do or endure at the hands of men. He didn't take it and use it as an excuse to mistreat anybody. No guile was found in his mouth. No treachery. He didn't use it as an excuse to deceive and start being underhanded. He didn't start taking matters into his own hand to do whatever he wanted to do. No, he didn't do all that. When you are dealing with hardship and you're dealing with suffering, not only must you, re must you refuse to break God's commandment, But you must not use it as an excuse to work treachery and unrighteousness upon your brothers and sisters or anyone around you. See, no guy was found in his mouth. That means that no that that meant that no that that no one could speak ill of him. It meant that no one could lay a charge to him. It meant that he didn't have a track record, a hidden track record of doing what's wrong. In other words, they looked at what he's going through and they're like, well, you know, let's, well, he probably going through that because of, before a reason, he probably did. No, no, no. His suffering was not the result of sin and unrighteousness deception and trickery he didn't use his discomfort as an excuse to work unrighteousness among on on people 
brothers or sisters or anyone. He didn't do that. That's important. Because first Peter, if you back up a little bit and you look at verse 19, amen. And you look at verse 20, where God says this, for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted, that means you get punished, that means you get chastised, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, meaning things that you actually did, Ye shall take it patiently. So in other words, you want to, you, you, you do wrong. You, you, you work in wrong. Then you get caught for doing wrong. And then you get in trouble for doing wrong. But then once you get caught, then you want to act like you, you, you are humble and you want to act like you taking the high road. Uh-uh. Paul is saying, what, what glory is it? If when you get buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable to, with God. In other words, what he's saying is that there ain't no honor. You're not winning no brownie points. I'm not winning brownie points. When I purposely do wrong and then I finally get caught and get in trouble for it, then I want to be humble. Then I want to take the high road. No. The blessing is, is when you are not doing all those things and you suffer for the cause of Christ due to no unrighteousness of your own. Then when people, when you endure suffering for that cause, then you are truly suffering for the cause of Christ. And that is a suffering that God honors and that God will bless you for. When you endure it. And it's strengthening you to endure it. But you don't, you're not helping yourself by acting like you didn't. As though somehow. You're extremely spiritual. Now that you've gotten caught for doing wrong in the first place, you can't fool God, people. You can't. So Jesus didn't use suffering as a excuse to commit sin or break God's law. He didn't use it as an excuse to tear down people nor did he have a track record of treachery and unrighteousness that would have warranted him suffering. He didn't have that. But he also didn't use it as an excuse to revile in retaliation. Revile means to strive. It means to quarrel. It means to attack or it means to complain. It also means to make or contest 
a lawsuit. So in essence, what this word means when the Bible teaches us. Amen. When the word of God teaches us that when he was reviled, reviled not again. What that really means is that he didn't retaliate when he was insulted. So he didn't break God's law. He didn't use his discomfort as a, as a shield to treat people wrong and, do, and work unrighteousness whereby he would have earned the suffering that he went through. So he didn't do any of that. Yet, and all the while he was being reviled, which means that they were attacking him. They were fighting with him, coming against him, mocking, complaining. He didn't use that as an opportunity to retaliate. In other words, he didn't fight back. He didn't start fighting or striving or trying to resist the suffering. He endured the suffering. He didn't resist the suffering. And finally, the word says, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth, judgeth righteously. He didn't break the word of God. He didn't use discomfort as justification for treating other people badly around him. He didn't fight back when they were fighting against him, when they were complaining. He didn't retaliate, in other words, when, they, when he was insulted. That's what that, what that really means. When the word says that he didn't, he, he didn't revile, not again, he reviled not again. It means that he didn't retaliate when he was insulted, when they were talking about him, dragging his name down and slandering him. They, he didn't retaliate. He didn't try to clear his name. He didn't spend time trying to change the way people had decided and chose, chosen to think about him. He left them to their own wickedness. And finally, not only did he leave them to their own wickedness, not retaliating when he, when the, he was insulted, but finally, he didn't use it as an excuse to contemplate and harbor on thoughts of revenge. He didn't threaten to retaliate 
or to revenge. He didn't threaten to get revenge on those that mistreated him. That's how he endured suffering. See, because suffering will have make you contemplate going against God's word or breaking his laws. Because you'll, when you're suffering, you tend to want relief as quickly as you can get it. And the enemy is always quick to try to make you think and make me think that you can get that relief by taking matters into your own hand. When you're suffering, suffering can make you want to lash out at others and treat them wrong. You have to refuse to speak guile and to operate in that. Suffering can cause you to want to revile others when they revile you. No one wants to be talked about. No one wants to be looked at as in a negative way. And when people are sped, spreading falsehoods and, 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 and talking about you and, 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 and misrepresenting you, insulting you, it can cause you to want to retaliate and to insult them instead. To make it plain, it'd be the equivalent of you call me a name, so I'll call you a name back. You call me this and I'll call you that. That's the type of revival. That's what that's talking about. And suffering, because people don't always understand why he's suffering. They don't know the story. They don't know what's going on. And sometimes people will cross over the line and say some of the most hurtful things. And it'll leave you feeling like, man, you know what? You're coming at me. I'm going to come at you. But that is exactly what Jesus did not do in order to overcome suffering. He resisted the urges to retaliate when he was, when he was insulted. He resisted the urges to take out his frustration or his pain or discomfort on other people. He refused to go against God's word and break his law when he knew full well what it said. And he refused to let bitterness take hold of him to where all his thoughts were consumed on revenge. If you want to overcome suffering, truly overcome, be able to endure it, then you got to follow the steps. I got to follow the steps that Jesus laid out. And on our own, it can seem like a daunting task. How can I do that? Because these are things that our natural man quickly tends to run to. But the word of God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is why God gives us the Holy Ghost to do just this. When you are suffering, you don't have to break God's word. 
in order to try to get temporary relief. When you are suffering, you don't have a right to go off on people and to treat people wrong and dis and, and you don't have a right to do that. To cut people down with your words. To tear them up and tear them apart with your words. When you are suffering, you have to refuse to retaliate. Just because people are slandering you and making you look bad, misrepresenting you. When you are dealing with suffering, sometimes people, we suffer at the hands of other people and the things that they do. You have to refuse to not let bitterness grow to where you become consumed with thoughts of revenge and getting even. That's not the way of God. That's not what God laid out for us to do. Because instead of all that, this is what he did. He refused to do all those other things. But he did this one other thing. He committed himself to him that judged righteously. And what that means is that instead of fighting back, instead of breaking the word, instead of cutting people down, instead of becoming consumed with revenge, instead of trying to clear his name and make people and change people's opinions and thoughts about him, he left his case in the hands of God. who always judges fairly and righteously. Brothers and sisters, that's all the time we have for today. This is a longer lesson. So by all means, break it up. Take it in pieces. But whatever you do, make sure you set specific times or designated time where you go through and complete all this because it's good for us and you need to know this. God bless you. And until next time.